Today is the last Sunday of the year and so this is the last time we will gather for worship in 2021 and the last sermon that I will preach to you. Now we began our year together at the cross on the first Sunday in January I preached a sermon on two words Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross words recorded in John chapter 19 verse 28 I thirst and we're going to finish our year where we began and so if you haven't already please open your Bible to the gospel according to Mark chapter 15 the gospel according to Mark chapter 15 and uh, I'd ask that you follow along as I read aloud. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marvelled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired, and there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. 
And the superscription of his accusation was written over, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. One ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask now that you would please help us to understand the scripture that is before us today. I pray that you would bless us with a fresh vision of your Son, our Saviour, whom we love. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not going to walk through the narrative of Jesus' crucifixion with you this morning. Rather, I want to concentrate on one little part. It's uh, recorded for us in verse 29. Uh, Jesus had been beaten, humiliated, scourged, marched out of the city and made to lie down on a cross with his arms stretched out. Nails were driven through his hands and feet into the timber of the cross and then it was hoisted up. And he was there hanging, searing pain running through his body, exposed for all the world to see. And then we read this, verse 29, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their head and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Verse 30, Save thyself and come down from the cross. Further on in the chapter, we're told that the chief priests and the scribes, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, mocked Jesus while he was dying on the cross. The text is very interesting. It says in verse 31 that they did this among themselves. They ridiculed Jesus as a joke among themselves, as a kind of gleeful celebration. They had finally got their man. They'd finally managed to destroy this person they had hated for a long time. They mocked Jesus among themselves, but those who passed by the cross railed on him, the text says. 
They spoke to Jesus directly. Now, as wicked as they were, I can understand the behaviour of the chief priests and the scribes. Uh, Their mocking makes sense to me. Uh, We know they hated Jesus. We know they had wanted to kill him for some time. Uh, Their animosity towards Jesus is a feature of the accounts the Gospel writers have left us. So it's no surprise that they carried on like this as they saw him suffering on the cross. It's no surprise that they delighted in Jesus' demise, that they made fun of him in this very nasty way. I understand their behaviour, as egregious as it was, but I find it more difficult to understand the behaviour of those who passed by. It's likely that Jesus was crucified next to one of the roads that led into the city, That's commonly where the Romans would perform this kind of execution. It was intended to be visible. Those hanging on crosses were supposed to serve as a deterrent to anyone who would dare challenge Rome's authority. So while Jesus was hanging on the cross, in very obvious distress, covered in blood, people walked past. Some heading into the city and some heading out of the city. And, as we've already noted, those that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads. The Greek word translated railed on is blasphemeo, and uh, you don't need to be a New Testament scholar to recognise the English word that we get from this Greek word, blasphemeo, blaspheme. The word means to vilify, to defame, to revile, and of course it has a religious meaning as well, it means to speak profanely about things that are sacred. That's what these people did. They vilified Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. They mocked him, they denigrated him, they verbally abused him. And as I said, I struggle to understand this. These were not the Jewish leaders who had long hated Jesus. These were not the Roman soldiers who had crucified him. We know they mocked him as well and they had their reasons for doing so, which we won't get into now. But these people? As far as we can tell, these were just the ordinary citizens of Jerusalem and the surrounding villages. Ordinary men and women from Judea and Galilee and from other places around the Mediterranean. Why did they do this? Why did they abuse Jesus like this? Why this antagonism, Uh, this hatred? Interestingly, those that passed by repeated one of the things the Jewish leaders had said against Jesus at his trial. Uh, The Jewish leaders had deliberately misrepresented something Jesus had said early on in his ministry and they used it to suggest that he was a malign character, a dangerous fanatic, a liar and a heretic. Obviously this accusation had gotten around, or more likely it had been spread around. And here it was hurled at Jesus as an insult as he was dying. Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it again in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. This suggests that the men and women who lived in Jerusalem and others who had travelled there for the Passover had come under the influence of the Jewish leaders. They had poured their hatred for Jesus into the hearts and minds of the common folk. And maybe that's why they railed on him. If anyone should know the power of propaganda, 
If anyone should understand the ability of powerful people to shape public opinion, it should be us. I mean, that's the story of the 20th century. And it continues to be the story in the 21st century. So maybe that explains it. The Jewish leaders had successfully turned the hearts and minds of the masses against Jesus. And that's why those who passed by railed on him. But I think we have to be careful with this explanation because taken too far, it denies these people any agency. It suggests that they were incapable of thinking for themselves. It sort of absolves them of personal responsibility. Whatever influences might have been brought to bear on them, a person still had to be very mean-spirited, very nasty, very hate-filled to speak to a dying man like this. To mock him and deride him while he was so obviously suffering, when he had already been totally broken and humiliated. Another possible explanation for their behaviour was the shame attached to this kind of public execution in the Jewish mind. A criminal who received the death penalty and then had his body exposed, hung up, was considered to be cursed by God. And that's because such a person was cursed by God. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 22 and 23. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be put to death and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is a curse of God. Thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. This is why we read what we do in Isaiah chapter 53. What did the people think when they saw the suffering servant? Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. When we saw him suffering, our verdict, our conclusion, was here's a man who is being punished by God. Beaten. Bruised, afflicted, cursed by God for committing some great evil. There was enormous shame attached to death by crucifixion in the Jewish mind. A person who was executed in this fashion had been abandoned by God. They were the worst of the worst. And perhaps that's why those who passed by felt they had the license to rail on Jesus, to deride him, to denigrate him. But even then, it's still hard to understand, isn't it? Even if you believe that a person hanging on a cross had been cursed by God, wouldn't you have some sympathy? At least enough sympathy to say nothing and walk quietly by. Why add to his suffering? Why be so malicious? John Calvin in his commentary supposes that this was the cruelest part of Jesus' ordeal on the cross. He says, this certainly was more cruel than all the other tortures that they upbraided and reviled and tormented him as one that had been cast off and forsaken by God. 
I won't spend too much time on this point, but it's worth noting that those who said these things to Jesus were doing exactly what the Old Testament said they would do. Their vile behaviour was prophesied a thousand years beforehand. I'll read some verses from the Psalms. First of all, from Psalm 22. This is the Psalm that so graphically describes the experience of crucifixion. In fact, it's often called the Psalm of the Cross. In verses 7 and 8, David is speaking of his own experience, but we know that he is speaking prophetically. David's son is speaking as well, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And then listen to the words of Psalm 109, verse 25. I became also a reproach unto them. That is an object of scorn. I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. Scripture was fulfilled even in this terrible part of the story. And they that passed by railed on him wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. And this scene in the narrative of our Lord's crucifixion that we've been concentrating on this morning says three things. And this is what I want to leave you with today. Number one, you might not like to hear it, but it says something about us. It says that we human beings are pretty rotten. Now you might be thinking to yourself, hold on a minute, Pastor, if I was there, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have mocked Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. No way. Maybe. But then perhaps those who did do this might have said the same thing a couple of weeks earlier. Oh no, we'd never speak that way to a dying man. We would never be so cruel. Maybe you wouldn't have. But the truth is, you are capable of such behaviour. You are capable of treating another human being as badly as these people treated Jesus. And so am I. It's in all of us. This depravity. This is the human condition. We're fallen. We're sinful. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says by the pen of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin, as it is written, and here it is, the truth about the human condition. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the human condition, my friend. Our natural inclination is not towards righteousness. It's not towards that which pleases the Lord and blesses our lives. 
our natural inclination is towards that which is unrighteous, that which displeases the Lord and brings ruin and misery into our lives and into the lives of others. We are inherently proud and selfish and disobedient. Now, by God's common grace, most people in the world don't give full expression to their sinful nature. They're not as wicked as they could be. But we're misguided and we're foolish if we deny what we are, if we don't believe that we are sinful. The Bible makes that abundantly clear, and so does 6,000 years of human history. There is a song we sing here at church. It's called, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And the second verse begins with these words. They're very honest. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Number one, this scene tells us something about us. And then number two, it tells us something about Jesus' suffering. Again, thinking back to that famous chapter in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, we're told that the servant of the Lord not only experienced terrible physical suffering, he was also despised. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. None of us like to be despised. (laughs) Uh, Maybe we can handle being disliked. That's almost inevitable. Some people just aren't going to like us, no matter how well we treat them. But, But to be despised is a whole other thing, and it really hurts us. To despise someone is to have contempt for them, to regard them as worthless. These people that passed by the cross and railed on Jesus evidently despised him. And that must have been so hard to take. I imagine that as awful as it was to bear, Jesus understood the scorn and the mockery of the religious leaders that hated him for almost all of his public ministry. But to have these ordinary men and women pass by the cross and curse him and revile him to his face must have been heartbreaking, soul-destroying. These were the people he had ministered to. The people whose loved ones he had healed, the the people he had so patiently taught, these were the lost sheep of the house of Israel that he had compassion on, and yet this was how they treated him. If it was us on the cross, we would be thinking to ourselves, why are you saying that to me? Why are you being so cruel? All I ever did to you was good. I was kind, I was generous, I cared for you with all my heart. Why? This part of the narrative tells us that the suffering of our Lord was so great that it enveloped his whole person, his body and his soul. Truthfully, I think it is beyond us to understand the hurt Jesus felt outwardly and inwardly. And that leads me to the third thing this scene says to us. It says something about us 
It says something about Jesus' suffering. And it says something about His love. The New Testament makes it very clear that Jesus chose the cross. He chose this ordeal. He he was the Lord of hosts, the Son of God, the Almighty. No one could have laid a finger on him without his permission. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. Jesus went to the cross with his eyes open. He knew there was a bitter cup for him to drink. He knew about the crown of thorns and the scourging and the nails. knew about the mockery, about the curses that would be spat at him. He knew all about the rejection and the heartbreak and he took it on. He took it on. We throw the word hero around far too casually these days. But our Lord was truly a hero. What courage, what character to choose all of this for the sake of others, for the sake of sinners, bad people, broken people, people like us. When we consider how great his suffering was, it serves to magnify his love. The darker it got for Jesus, the more brightly his love did shine. He endured the mockery and the abuse of those who passed by because he loved us, because it was all part of bearing our sins and reconciling us to God. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It's one of my favourite verses in the Bible. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. And here's another great verse on the same theme. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus' love for us was so clearly demonstrated at the cross has been one of the few constants this year. One of the few things that hasn't been disrupted, that hasn't changed, that hasn't wavered or diminished. He has loved us every moment of every day in 2021. On our very best days and on our very worst days. I think it's safe to say that a lot of what's happened this year has caused us, at times, not to be very lovable. Just ask your spouse or your children. And yet that did not alter his love. He did not love us any less. And looking back on this year, I have to confess that I did not resort to his love nearly enough I didn't think about it, I didn't rest in it, I didn't give thanks for it as much as I should have, and I missed out. His love was there. He was there always. 
with grace, with consolation, with peace, with wisdom. But there were too many occasions when I didn't turn to him and receive it. When I didn't turn my mind and my heart towards him and towards that old rugged cross. And as a consequence, I was more anxious, more troubled, more angry, more dissatisfied than I had to be. And I'm sure that had consequences for others. And maybe I'm not alone in this. Maybe when you look back on your life in 2021, you see the same thing. Your Saviour's love was there for you to rest in. It was there to comfort you and secure you. But you were distracted by what was going on in the world. Or you chose to look elsewhere or you you actually chose to walk away from him. You didn't turn to him and you missed out. Now today, as we finish our year together where we began, at the cross, let us behold the wonderful love of Jesus and be blessed by it once more. May his love refresh you and fill you and make your heart glad. Let us give thanks for it today and let us resolve to lay hold of it more and more and more as we enter into another year. May God bless you and may God bless the preaching of his word. Amen.